everybody, this is Jeff Ashton in Los Angeles, California with Roy Cole in Jersey City, New Jersey and Derek Kessler in Yokohama, Japan. And this is Coast to Coast to Coast, our discussion about our favorite theme parks with special guest Drew filling in for Derek. Hope you enjoy. topic for today is what is your favorite theme park and why and uh it's so funny the three of us have the have the honor of all having gone to a theme park at the same time together i remember we all went to disney uh years ago actually disneyland yeah uh, and uh that was interesting and we all had our own impressions of it and i just that was probably a a, what 2007 maybe yeah i think so yeah yeah, that's a long time ago. Yeah, but theme parks. Uh, I would. I want to speak for all of us when I say um, we all have a connection to Florida, and Florida, of course, has uh, you know a great uh, selection of theme parks. Of course, you have Sea World, you have Bush Gardens, you have Universal, and uh, you also Holy have Land Disney. Experience. Holy Land Experience. That's right, exactly. <laughs> and uh, personally, for me, I would love to hear everyone's thoughts on their favorite theme park why it's their favorite, and uh, we can discuss it. So, Drew, being once again our guest, I'd love you to go first, and we can go from there. It's up to you. Well, um, I, I I was looking forward to, to interacting with Derek on this subject just because I have, uh, you know, with him living in Japan, I would have loved to hear, loved to hear his thoughts on this. But, uh, you know, some of our friends, my, myself included, uh, have been to Japan and been to Tokyo, the Disneyland Resort. And growing up in Florida, you know, you have your your familiarity and your love for what is makes up Disney World. But then if you're lucky enough to be able to get to California and, and go there a couple of times, you find what you love about that. And the thing that blow, blew my mind about Tokyo Disneyland was I went there expecting to come back to you guys and be in a podcast years later and saying Tokyo Disney sea, the coolest theme park ever. I couldn't believe it. And it's like, it is, it is one of the coolest theme parks I've ever seen. But what I didn't expect was Tokyo Disneyland, like the magic kingdom version of the park from 83. Uh, the Japanese who, um, I, I guess they, when they made the deal with, between Disney and the Oriental land company, they let them decide what they wanted Tokyo Disneyland to be. And they looked at, Disneyland and they looked at Florida's magic kingdom because they both exist at the point and they took the best of both. Mm. So you get there and it's like being in like a dreamlike version of your memories of loving Disneyland and magic kingdom where they just merge together and you're like, and you know, in your dream world, you're like, sure, you know, but it's real. <laughs> so there's like no joke. Um, I think a friend of mine uh, uh, took a picture, took a video of me doing this, but like, if you if you've been to California Disneyland Park, there's like um there's like a shop in Toontown. And because Toontown's so expansive in Disneyland, you can enter through one door and then you can kind of exit through another door on the other end of the store. But when they duplicated that Toontown in Japan, the rest of Toontown wasn't on the other side of the door. So it's just a door frame with a wall. So he recorded me like walking towards the door as so I was gonna walk out, and then I just go right into the wall. Um on purpose, but it, it's just like, that's what that place is like. It's just, you can follow along exactly the way you remember the place you grew up with or the place you visited. And then suddenly it just morphs into something else or it just stops. And they have like heightened versions of everything. So 
Um, you know, some people prefer the New Orleans square kind of uh, cleaned up uh, plantation style house, I guess, in in California. But in Florida, I grew up with this like very creepy looks like it's from a Scooby Doo intro of the cartoon show uh, mansion. Well, they have that mansion, but it's like more burned out and it's creepier and it's got like like aesthetics around it. Everything seems abandoned and burned. And so it was what I loved growing up in Florida, but even more. And that's what I kept encountering through that whole place. Um, I was telling Jeff, um, I think earlier this week, like because in Japan and, and, and Derek would have been able to test this. Derek, where are you? Very disappointed. I'm just kidding. Uh, but apparently in Japan, at least at that time, you, there was a very considerable tax for every train station you had on a railroad. So even though it was a theme park where it was a railroad as an attraction, not actually taking you anywhere too significant. This is what I, this is what I heard. So forgive me out there if, if I'm wrong about any of this, but they couldn't open those additional stations without running into some legislative issues. So if you go on the railroad for Tokyo Disneyland, you leave the station, it goes or, like around half the park almost. And you see like some of the stuff, like the dinosaur section from that we know from Disneyland. And then it goes on, on an elevated rail over Frontierland. So you're actually on this elevated train rail looking down and you get these incredible views that you don't really have in the other parks because usually you're just on the outside of the berm and you're kind of making your way around. But then it kind of winds back all the way back to the original station and drops you off where you got on, which seems it would sounds kind of lame, but it's actually awesome because they just made sure to give you a very different experience because they knew you were expecting that other getting to other destinations. And so it's just filled with eccentricities like that. Instead of Main Street USA, they have this very Main Street like section, but then there's this roof overhead. So because the weather over there could be like much more unexpected and, and problematic, they made sure that you could all kind of hang out underneath this roofed Main Street called the World Bazaar. But if you head out towards like Adventureland, like you would at California or Florida, instead of like, boom, you're in Adventureland, there's like this slow, like kind of de-evolution of society where, you know, first you're in this like, you know, pretty civilized main, you know, main street like area. And then it's like a series of high end buildings. But then then that's all of a sudden like less buildings and it's more jungle. And the next thing you know, it's just canopies and stuff. And it's just like everything is so the detail is so minute and so uh, precious so that no matter where you're going, you feel like there's a transition or there's a buildup or, or, or a build down. And um, I could just, I ended up spending so much more time in Tokyo Disneyland than Disney Sea because I was just mesmerized by the place. Wow. Yeah, I really enjoyed it as well. I just felt like everything was so, was so made with such care and, and such consideration about what the, the, the guest was going to feel and experience. It was just, it was just like a very magical experience, which, of course, you know, is, is the Disney brand. It's just going into this fantastical world. Um, and uh, I liked that the, the experiences were slightly different from what I was used to. Big Thunder Mountain was different, and it felt different. It looked different, and, but it had the same thrills that I had experienced in America, but there was a difference to it, and I liked that. I liked being on something familiar but different. And, well, uh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. if I may interject... Please. Because of the weather, the intermittent weather, um, things like Splash Mountain and Big Thunder had more interior areas. Like, right. this is ridiculous to call this out, but I have to. Like, there was a bathroom inside of a mine underneath, like, Big Thunder's building. And wow. you're just like, 
because they just needed to have more places for you to get cover. So there was so much more detail to discover. Like, so as a result, um, Splash Mountain has more indoor sequences in the ride. And um, when you go in Splash Mountain, um, when you, it's kind of like a downward spiral to the loading station when you're going through the queue. But the, the cave you're in is shaped so that the further down you go, the smaller you feel. So like you get the sensation that you're shrinking to the size of a critter so mm-hmm. that it, it, it fits the reality you're now finding yourself in. And, and it just, uh, I, Jeff, I don't know if you remember this, but in, in, uh, in Tomorrowland, uh, there's a whole building that is actually a spaceship with like landing gear that has extended like uh, walkways into the star tours building, which is two or three stories tall. And when you go in the star tours building, uh, you look up and there's whole, uh, I've heard the star tours vehicles are called um, star speeders. There's full size star speeders just in docking bays above you with robots working on them. And the scale is almost just incalculable and then once you come out of the attraction you're not just coming out the exit you're like in an air terminal and there's like Mm. luggage being processed by other robots and then you go through a tunnel and then there's like a animatronic alien who's like the same style of the alien as like a sunny eclipse from the who does the music in disney world and magic kingdom in tomorrowland and he's just operating all these cameras and then from those tunnels you can access to their you know to like the restaurant on the other side of that giant building which i said is again like a spaceship and there's a storyline to it and how it landed there and uh it's it just goes on and on and you're like yeah and i could go on and on about just getting lost in the detail of that place yeah it definitely feels like they really understood the idea of of theming and telling a story and making you feel like you're part of the story uh, like having a beginning a middle and an end to the story and to the attraction and I just feel like yeah if, if anyone's a Disney fan out there who who loves the Disney parks in America I would say if you get a chance to go to Japan, definitely go to Disneyland Tokyo. So to- Tokyo Disneyland. Um, and uh, I would also say Disney Sea, but that's another, yeah. another conversation. Yeah, I don't want to I don't want to sell either of them short. I mean, right. really, if you if you do get a chance, save up. And mm-hmm. and I, I know some people will shame theme park fans for spending that, sh- that much time. But I, I went to Japan for two weeks and I spent a week in the Tokyo Disneyland Resort, staying at the Ambassador, going to and from um, Tokyo Disneyland and Tokyo Disney Sea, and I still didn't do everything. And those wow. are just two parks. And so, um, if you get out there, take your time and uh, just like soak it in. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I mean, it was definitely, it's definitely an amazing park and and definitely an amazing experience. And and you can, I, we I only did one day there, and I I only barely scratched the surface of of all the things you could do and. Uh, I definitely recommend it. It's definitely a, 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 an incredible experience, and I deserves its rank as one of the best parks. Uh, I've seen on, on countless lists about the best theme parks in the world, constantly ranked as one of the best. Um, anyway, Roy, did you want to? No, I just wanted to say that uh, Star Tours, because that was name dropped earlier. Yeah. Uh, that's the worst ride I've ever been on personally. Uh, I didn't go on the one at. In Tokyo, uh, I guess. where where is that in um in Magic Kingdom or Ep- Epcot, right? Uh, no, that's in uh, the the uh, that is Disney Hollywood Studios. Yeah, I was, I was yeah, I couldn't I couldn't say MGM, but not not MGM anymore. Not yeah. even close. Um, yeah. I hate that. I've never felt more nauseous after any ride than that. I've been on some hardcore roller coasters and whatnot, 
and uh still to this day the most nauseous i ever felt was uh from star tours i've been on it twice and i got nauseous both times so nothing to do with the the theme, the theme, the story, or the content. Just mainly on the motion simulator technology <laughs> that's being used. Am I correct? I, correct. I, I don't I, remember much about the story. I will. I, I, yeah. I would say, Roy, that unfortunately, because with motion simulator simulator technology, it's asking your brain to make certain leaps in terms of connecting <laughs> your motion to what you're seeing, and uh, it, I think it is less. I think it has less to do with the attraction and more to do with there are some I, people where I I, I, just I don't, don't believe. Either, I don't want to under. I don't want to like undercut you on anything but i think that there i've just had a lot of friends who have different ups and downs depending on what kind of attractions they're going on and motion simulators are interesting because depending on the motion simulator it can trigger people who have like who don't connect necessarily with motion simulator technology and it's always interesting because some of my friends are like have incredibly high uh accessibility to that kind of stuff and other times they can you know slight things affect them in ways it doesn't others but i would just say if i were you i would pass on motion <laughs> simulator attractions going forward because i think that might have a lot to do with your um equilibrium and right. uh that is not something you should put yourself through if you can avoid it but like uh yeah i thought you were implying that uh like if i got more into the story that was on the screen and like immersed myself in, in the no, I I think you're facing a very real biological challenge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wasn't I think so well, with that in mind, then, Roy, why don't you tell us your pick? Uh, I think, why don't you go, Jeff? Because okay. uh, my answer is just not going to be as detailed okay. um, as right. yours, I think. Well, I, I thought a lot about uh, the parks that I've been to. And once again, growing up in Florida, I had a lot of experiences in Disney, at Universal. Uh, SeaWorld, Busch Gardens, and uh, I picked uh, Universal's Islands of Adventure, which opened in 1999, and it was a park that I feel advanced the level of theme park experience to the to the next level. And this was a park that had roller coasters, had dark rides, you know, the rides that uh, are not too intense, but they uh, told told you a story, and they usually use motion simulator and other types of uh, theming that was not as intense, I would say, than a roller coaster. And then, of course, they had shows and interesting attractions that were original, like Poseidon's Fury, which was a, a show that was not based on any existing property. Um, but um, to basically pare it down to simplest elements, it was a theme park that had movie properties like Jurassic Park. And then it had uh, the original stuff, which was uh, the the Lost Continent experience, which had Sinbad, and then the Poseidon's Fury attraction. It had Dr. Seuss. Uh, so I shouldn't say it had. It still has those things as well. But um, what I liked about it the most was that if you were a thrill seeker, you had the roller coaster experiences. You had Dr. Doom's free fall. If you had little children, they had show, little you know, the kids shows and they had Dr. Seuss, of course. If you didn't like roller coasters, like my parents, there was plenty of attractions to choose from. Uh, I think one of the good attractions for everybody who who liked rides, maybe not Roy, would be the Amazing Adventures of Spider-Man, which was an amazing... <laughs> I like that ride, though. That's <laughs> that, motion, that qualifies as a motion simulator? 
It's well, it has elements of motion simulator, but it is it is a moving ride. So maybe that's why you like it is that it doesn't really just have you just sitting still for the whole experience. <laughs> yeah, I think there's something about sitting yeah. still and the yeah. screen moving. That could be it. Yeah, Spider Man, I I enjoy quite a bit. Yeah. So. And I just feel like it definitely gave you a different, there was different kinds of experiences, thrilling experiences and quaint experiences and, and just amazing uh, different areas. And one of the things I have to point out, and I spoke, talked to Drew about this actually a couple of days ago when I was thinking about what park I wanted to choose, was that this park was very good about transitioning the areas. It's very tricky when you have a guest in an area where you want them to see the attraction they, that you want them to, to go to, and then the, the gift shop and the, 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 the casual dining experience. You don't want to overload them too much with too much coming at them that's not part of that particular experience. So let me just lead you through it. If you can all visualize this, you know, we're doing a podcast, so you all can close your eyes. You walk into something called the Port of Entry, and it's like this Mediterranean-type feel where there's stone buildings and a lighthouse, you're almost like you're entering like a mystical place. You turn left, and there's like about, I'd say about 10 feet or so, and suddenly it transitions very casually into this live-action comic book world. And you have a giant Hulk roller coaster. You can see the top of Dr. Doom's Freefall. And then further down, you can see the Spider-Man ride and then the entrance to the, well, I think the Storm ride, Accelotron, is behind the Spider-Man, around there. It's been a while since I've been to the park. But the transition from the, the mystical place to the Marvel place, and then you go a little further down, and then now you're in like a, a, a live-action cartoon with the uh, Popeye section, and you have uh, Dudley Do-Right. You have basically a very simple transition between the areas to make you adjust to each area as you go along. And I think that's very key to the success of the theme park because you really feel like you're getting into a world and now you go into another world. And you know, as, the, as the title suggests, these are islands of adventure. You're going from each island into another world. And I just think that was a great, you know, uh, uh, I was going to say great stepping stone. I was, it was a great step forward for people who love theme parks. And I think it's still one of the, you know, premier theme parks to go to. Not, you know, and I have to mention one of the main reasons that uh, the Harry Potter experience, which of course was another step up uh, from the uh, from the previous uh, experiences as well. So, can I anyway, jump, can I, can I jump please. in a bit about both of those subjects? Like, one, I have to agree with Jeff. I don't, at least up to the point that 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 uh, that 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 park was created, that um, Islands Adventures created. The transitions were so incredible that that was around the period of time that I met, like for the first time, my friends who were like the biggest theme park nerds, fans, whatever you want to call us, um, that I'd ever encountered. And so we would like really hyper focus on like everything these places had to offer. And one of the things that sticks out in my mind was we all remember Jurassic Park, the movie. And right. I saw that movie 10 times in theater. So like having a land built on that movie was something that really spoke to a certain part of my childhood. And I remember walking between, so you're at the, let's just say you're like geographically speaking, if you're not at the entrance to the theme park, you're at the far end of the theme park between Jurassic park and what was then, um, gosh, what was it called? The lost continent, which is now Harry Potter. But I remember you could walk underneath that Jurassic park gate on a bridge 
yeah. and you'd walk just far out enough that the John Williams music would disappear or the, or the sound, the, 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 the stuff that went with that theme was gone. And then you were suddenly hearing the, the lost continent theme. And then you could mm-hmm. walk backwards just enough and you would no longer hear the lost continent theme, but you would hear the Jurassic park theme. They did not bleed over each other at all. It was like scientifically they had mastered that there was a point your brain was going to move between the two and it was seamless. Right. And that is incredible. Um, the thing that really killed me also was um, the park was very unsuccessful when it first opened and they went so far into the character stuff that um, the guests had a really hard time knowing how to deal with it because they were told that wherever you were, whatever Island you were on, you had to be that character. So guests would come in and like interact with them and say, Hey, you know, uh, where's this or this, whatever. And they would answer as if they were a character, which is, this is long before star Wars galaxy's edge long. I mean, this is like what 21 years and the guests would get perturbed and they would start arguing with the, the, the people there because they wanted a straight answer that spoke to them as a parent or as a guest and being in theme was just too complicated for them to get their heads around at the time. And you could go and hang out in Jurassic park for, I think like the first six months. And they, and I know they ended up leaving, letting a lot of people go after time because the, the attendance was so low, but they had like a Dr. Ian Malcolm and a Dr. John Hammond who were improv, like improv comedian actors. And they would hang out with you in Jurassic park. My friends went on the river adventure with Dr. Ian Malcolm and he was showing them chaos theory using water. And then when the dinosaurs started attacking everyone, he would have the reaction. So you know those ridiculous commercials you see on TV where it's like, come to the theme parks and you'll live the movies. And the characters are somehow like in the rides, which make no sense. That yeah. was actually legit happening. Like you That's would, awesome. you, that was the depth of stuff. And, um, and it was just, it was so unique and so progressive for the aesthetics of the experience that I just don't think people were ready and they didn't know how to roll it out correctly. So when Harry Potter came in, which you were bringing up, like I had friends who were at the park at the time working there. And they said that like, if this Harry Potter thing doesn't take off, I don't think this park has that much life left in it essentially. And so it was, what was, what's great about Harry Potter was it wasn't that they just dropped that land into some place that it, it didn't fit. They were, they had mastered for the first time what that park was really supposed to be at the last minute. Yeah. No, I, I agree with that. And, and it, also the level of interaction you could have in the, in the Harry Potter section. Um, Is that true about the... So patrons would ask questions of the characters. Like they would ask like, hey, where's the nearest restroom? And, and like the characters would answer in character and they'd be it, like, this sucks, I'm out of here. No, I, would simpl- I simplified it. It would be something like they'd come up and they start interacting with the characters and the characters would say things like, well, if you go to the blah, 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 and then you order this and, and the, the nights of whatever. And then the adults would act like you were talking down to them and they would be like, dude, like, yeah, yeah, it's not, that's not real. And they'd be like, everything's real here. And it's like, stop saying that. Like it was this weird, <laughs> like, like they were offended that you were asking the, to them to pretend. And doesn't that happen at, doesn't that happen at all the Disney parks though? Is that like? But again, you got to go back to you got to go back to 1999, and it's it's like in 1999, it was a tougher. Didn't have a lot of theme parks where you were intentionally immersing someone in a fantasy world. Like I feel like those fantasy worlds typically were like limited to character meet and greets, 
and um, the people who staffed the staffed the the rides, they would have a, a limited amount of like welcome and you know enjoy or whatever. But they did they weren't given scripts. I mean, these people had legit scripts where they had to stay on script. They had to they had certain lines. They they were told you could improv, but only within this amount. So it's kind of like, I mean, you got to remember in the nineties when they were doing jokes on the Jungle Cruise, that was still somewhat controversial. Like you weren't, you had a very, a certain stigma about what you should or shouldn't be doing on an attraction in character. And so that Island's Adventure was really like, you know, you know how it always is with any kind of entertainment. When you're the first people to cross that threshold and try something new, you typically get slapped pretty hard, you know, whatever you're trying that's new. And I'm just really glad that Island's Adventure broke through at some point. But I think in a way, Harry Potter is so famous and so popular that there's almost like this unspoken invitation that you want to participate. Whereas Island's Adventure in its initial incarnation was so scattershot in the different things it was trying to do that it was harder for people to grasp how they were supposed to plug in on an unconscious level. Yeah. That's but funny. I, I, I just sorry, it, I just picturing like some random dad getting into a fist fight with the cat in the hat. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, that happened. No, I'm just kidding. But I, I definitely feel like there was something, once again, I felt like a family, a large family could go there, different types of personalities, and everyone could get something that out of it. I, I just feel like if you, if you were a thrill, like I said, a thrill seeker, if you were, you know, a little kid and you were a little nervous about going on more intense rides, if you you know just wanted to see a good show or just kind of hang out, you could do all those different things, and I, I really appreciated that. And and uh, it's not to, not to diminish other parks because I feel like a lot of people took a lot of theme parks took a lot of the lessons they learned from Miles Venture and, and used those uh, to enhance the other theme park experiences. But um, I felt like, especially in the Harry Potter section, when you had you know the 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 idea that you could get a wand and then you could use that and do magic tricks in the area. That was cool. They'd give a little bit more interaction than you could normally get at another theme park. So. Um, I, I just I just don't want to play down that. Like for me, I, I always hear people talk about like Harry Potter changed everything. You know, after Harry Potter, now everybody wants to live in these worlds where it immerses you in that fantasy world. That's a, it, it's an extension of whether it's an IP or an all new experience. But I Harry Potter was a thing that everybody knows could have ended up in a different different incarnations, different parks. But the place yeah. it landed which was Islands of Adventure, it landed there because they were the first ones to want to do that. Right. And so I, I, I just, I can't underplay the importance of that park in the, what'll be the vast history to the end of our days, really, in, in yeah. terms of how it changed the entire industry. Absolutely. Well, talking about theme parks, and we have two good candidates. I can't wait for Roy's uh, answer. <laughs> so. Oh, this is so <laughs> disappointing. <laughs> so I just honestly I did not expect uh the the discussion on Islands of Adventure to be so uh thorough and comprehensive <laughs> as it was. Uh yes. because my pick for favorite theme park is Islands of Adventure. What? Uh, <laughs> but but uh that I don't think I have anything to say. Uh, after what's been covered, uh, I'll I'll talk a little about it. Yeah, what was uh, like, yeah, it's very fun. Uh, <laughs> it's good. No, um, you know, you talked about like the kind of the diversity of rides. It, it really does have pretty much every style of ride 
right? It's got the roller coaster. It's got the like the Bluto's barges where, where you can get wet. Um, it's got like bumper cars. It's got the free fall. And then, then it's got like more kid oriented rides. Um, so, yeah, it's just like whatever your cup of tea is. I mean, you're literally in the storm ride. You're kind of literally in a cup of tea, more or less. Um, so so literally uh, they have every kind of ride. Um, and then uh, I really like the Hulk uh, coaster. That's uh, that was like that was actually my introduction into real roller coasters. I, I don't know where that ranks in, in like the the pantheon of hardcore roller coasters. But, it's but for me, yeah. that, that was like the first one I'd ever been on that. I was actually scared of roller coasters before I went on the Hulk. And then the Hulk uh, kind of, um, I guess, popped my roller coaster cherry to be crude. Um, and uh, yeah, ever since then, I, I like lost my fear of roller coasters. And uh, I really like that it uh, that the Hulk gets right down to business. It like shoots you out right away at, at sixty miles per hour. Doesn't waste, doesn't waste your time taking yeah, you, yeah. taking you to dinner and small talk. Well, most coasters when I think of like Splash Mountain. There's such there's that slow descent, um, yeah, like up to the top, and yeah. so it kind of and and I hate that, <laughs> like well, it builds the trepidation, and I, I just like being shot out right away. Well, if um, I could add, if I can add to that, it's it's interesting because the, during that period of time, that was not long after, um, what was it, the Rock and Roller Coaster at yeah. Hollywood Studios, which also had a launch, and um, actually, I think I'm I think launches are hard for me. I think they're a bit they're a bit scary depending on the noises and stuff. But like, I was very terrified of roller coasters and they were doing this cross promotion with the opening of the park to try to promote themselves and a theme and, and, and their roller coasters by offering a free roller coaster, get over your fear roller coaster class. And <laughs> I, I, I was going to do it and I, something happened and I fell behind and I didn't end up submitting in time. And I was so angry that I was like, I don't care. I don't, I, I may have missed this class, but I'm not going to let this fear drive me forever. So when I first went to Islands of Adventure during the soft opening, so this is like, I think early 99, I made myself go on all their roller coasters. And I actually found that if I didn't, if I held my breath on, what was it called? The Dueling Dragons, which is no longer there. Um, it wouldn't affect my stomach. So I actually could just enjoy how awesome it looked from being, you know, riding that and being upside down and seeing all these angles. And, and I ended up really liking it. But when I went on the Hulk, I think the Hulk just kind of beat the crap out of me. Like I could hold my breath and that was fine, but it was just so I would just shook up so much that when I came off, I was like, I don't like how this feels, but I wasn't terrified. You know what I mean? So yeah. that very similar to you, Roy, I was, that was like the moment where I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to deal with this. I'm going to try to enjoy myself. And I, I think I remember the Hulk was being portrayed as like one of the more aggressive uh, coasters of its time. I'm sure they've, broken whatever you know records it was doing a thousand times since then but um or, or or its aggressiveness but um yeah i think i think my biggest but one of my biggest memories about the park which i don't know how how long you guys have been going but this is definitely something i wanted to bring up when jeff told me he was going to talk about it was because they did so poorly when they first opened a lot of the stuff they were supposed to do never really happened so mm -hmm. I don't know. Do you guys remember that if you went on the river adventure, when you first go into that big hut, that's like the opening to the river. It's like the, it's the main entrance, to the river adventure attraction. There was, there was this like model in the middle of the room that was an in, uh, inside of like glass. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? It was like a model of Issa Nublar. 
I don't remember. That in that model, they had all the attractions that either existed or were meant to exist as part of the eventual phased opening of, of that land. So like, I don't know if you guys even got there when this was still going on, but they used to have a boat that you would take it from, um, Jeff, what was the main, what was the first Island called when you first arrived the coast? Well, the port of entry was when you yeah. first arrived. Yeah. yeah. So you used to be able to take a boat from the port of entry. And originally you were supposed to take the boat all the way around to all the different islands and each Island would have an entrance into the Island. And mm. for a while, Seuss Lagoon had like a, like a pier that went out. And then I think it eventually right. disappeared. They just never used it, but you're supposed to be able to stop everywhere. And they, I think they eventually worked it out. This lake's too small and mm. it, it's just going to be weird. So we'll just send you directly from port of entry to Jurassic park. And that's the only way you could get that shot from the movie where you see the, you, cause, cause I don't know if you guys ever noticed, but like the main center, the main Jurassic park visitor center is only visible from the other lands. You don't, right. you have to go kind of like when you come into the land, you're actually in the middle of it. So you have to walk around to get the right view. But then by the time you walk around, you're already in the land and you're too close. Right. So if you went on that boat for like the few months or six months that it was open, you'd get that whole sense and the music would swell up and you'd get that whole cool transition. And that was lost when they, when they took that down. And to this day, like I went there um, some years ago and the, because they shut down that boat, the, the um, pier to get on the boat is just abandoned and there's just, you know, trash and leaves and everything else covering what's undeniably rotting down there. But that was like the first victim of like their failure. And then there was supposed to be a Jurassic park Jeep safari, which as you guys probably worked out by now, if you haven't heard was what they turned the King Kong ride into. Right. And then there was also supposed to be uh, an attraction called helicopter tours, which I think was going to be like California Soren at Disney, where it was going to be like, you know, you're going to get in like a, a, some kind of wing device and you were going to fly over Jurassic park. I don't know if it was going to be like, I can't remember if it was going to be hang gliding or helicopters, but it was called helicopter tours. So I assume it was some kind of helicopter thing. And it was actually the concept art for this attraction was in the original opening day posters. Like I actually still have pictures of it from when I first went there on my computer. And so it had all of these things listed on the model, including one of my favorite attractions, which I know not everybody really cared about this, but they had a thing. Do you guys ever do Triceratops encounter? I, I know I never no, did. I always I knew about so. it. Oh man. So you would go into this camp and, and what it is, you'd walk this winding, uh, you walk through all these winding, uh, zoologist encampments where they had like technology and devices and feeding stuff for the dinosaurs and medicine. And it was like, you were going through bush gardens and you were seeing all the places where the zoologists were working with the animals. And then eventually you get to the paddocks for the triceratops and they had these full size audio animatronic dinosaurs. I think they cost between two to 3 million a piece. And they were the most, the most incredible things I've ever seen. They, they made noises. They opened, uh, they pooped, they breathed. They, you could walk up and touch them and they would just be breathing and they would interact. It was insane. And the, and because you were winding through this encampment, you would genuinely almost lose where you were like in your mind, navigationally in the park. And the only way you could kind of tell where you were was because you could see the uh, the football lights from the high school across from Island's Adventure. Uh, that was the only way to get any sense of where you were because you'd otherwise feel like you were really getting lost in the island. And awesome. those dinosaurs were so amazing. And it was just between the upkeep and people not knowing what to make of that attraction, they shut it down. 
And so for me, my memory of that, of that park up until Harry Potter opened was just like watching it slowly die forever. And a lot of that stuff just never came back. So it really bums me out that I have this like nostalgic memory of like how cool that place was for, I would say like the first year or two. And then, um, you know, and then what happened happened, but I'd like to hope that with their new rides they are building in that area, maybe that land will have a second life at some point, but it is weird that they've got a King Kong ride where there should be, you know, the most iconic moments of the original Jurassic park movie. That's interesting. By the way, what did they poop? That, that was I was also going to ask what the poop was. Yeah, I have no idea. There's got to be somebody online who's asked that question. I guess that's a Google Google moment. I hope it's real poop. It would be funny if it was human poop. <laughs> I would get some guy in there like, oh man, what a what a crap job. Um, if anyone wants to write to feeding us, him and feeding him. it's like we need more poop. This has to be real. If anyone wants to write to us and let us know what they used as poop for the dinosaurs in the first couple of years of uh, Islands of Adventure, please do. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like obviously this park left, it in, left a deep impression on all, all three of us. And uh, it's certainly uh, uh, an attraction. It's certainly uh, a theme park worth checking out if you're, in, if you're in the Orlando area, I would say. Thanks for joining us today. If you have a question or a comment, please email us at coast to coast to coast podcast at gmail.com. That's coast the number two, coast the number two, and then coastpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to vote this Tuesday, November 3rd, and we'll talk to you all next week.